Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, Ohioans? Thank you for having me in Cleveland. This is WTF. I am Mark Marin. I am back from Cleveland. I made it back. The plane landed properly. Everything worked out okay on the way back. God knows if it hadn't, that would have meant it was about me specifically, and I don't need to focus on that kind of shit. Plane was smooth, pretty smooth on the way back. Had a great time in Ohio. Again, hilarities, great club, uh, great sound system, good people. Uh, People in Cleveland really want to laugh. And I felt that every audience, and we had a great show, and I appreciate it. Did I mention the genius chefs that I I came in contact with in Cleveland at uh, both at Lola, Michael Simon's restaurant, and uh, at the Greenhouse, Jonathan Sawyer's place? Holy shit, I ate good. And the uh, Parma pierogies that a fan brought, awesome. Mountains of dough and food and pot creme, and it was, it was fucking nuts. Great food. Enough said. Before I forget, I really want to thank Matt over at Black Ocean Cabinets. This dude made me a guitar cabinet, a speaker cabinet for my amp that I can plug in for my guitar. It is the WTF Special Edition cabinet. Beautiful wood, beautiful finish. On the front, there's a wooden plaque with the three cats on it, and it's just fucking stunning. Above and beyond. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. What a sweet gift, and it just looks it looks fucking great. If you want to see it, you can go to blackoceancabinets.com. Beautiful. An amazing gift, and I really appreciate it. I can't wait to fucking jam through it. Let's plug a couple things before I get too far involved in what I want to talk about. Because I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I wanted to talk about it because I had a great time. And I judged it before I went. By the way, on the show today, Anthony Jeselnik. Uh, the uh, the very smooth, very charming, very shocking, uh, brilliant joke writer is going to talk at length. Uh, which is exciting for me because I've never had... He's a, he's a joke guy, so now we're going to talk. So you're going to hear me talk to him about what he does. Anthony Jeselnik coming up in a second. My own shows, I will be in Nashville. Uh, Nashville Zanies, 8th, 9th, and 10th of September. Looking forward to that. Have not been to Nashville. Am looking forward to going to... Uh, there's a lot of music down there. I got some friends down there I got to track down. See if I can find my buddy uh, Charlie Izell or Hunt Sales. And then later in the month, in September 22nd through 25th, I'll be at the Improv in Louisville. Louisville. Did I say it right? Louisville. Okay. Are we good? All right. Back to Cleveland. Back to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Man, I hope I didn't have a stroke today. Fucking Jim, man. I, something went down. You know, I, it makes me a little nervous. I'll tell you about it in a minute. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I didn't know what to expect. I thought maybe a glorified hard rock cafe because we're that spoiled. We're that jaded. We've become that kind of culture where you're like, can I just see? I saw the lyrics of the song Imagine handwritten in John Lennon's pen, you know, hanging in a in a in a frame at the Hard Rock Cafe in Boston, Massachusetts, when it first opened over at Booth, where there were a bunch of frat guys eating wings or something. Imagine there's no heaven. Yes, it is easy. 
uh, given the situation that those original lyrics were in. So that's what I assumed I would see is some sort of, you know, kind of just a hard rock thing. Well, I've already seen the hard rock. Why do I got to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because there's a context. There is, uh, it's a museum. And the one thing you're not going to see at a Hard Rock Cafe is Howlin' Wolf's money bag, his money briefcase. You're not going to see the slide that Muddy Waters gave to Eric Clapton in 1979. You're not going to see these old beat-up shitty guitars that Lightning Hopkins played, that Elmore James played. I mean, these K guitars, these beat-up old guitars. It was great, especially when you got a you know blues-based brain like myself and these guys were heroes to you. These were the real deal. These are magical instruments. All of these things are talismans. There was such a weird sort of focus in music on on the instruments on the on the sound on the pedals everything was just magical to me in that place i mean right when i walked into the main foyer they had like a case full of jerry garcia's guitars and you know, like i guess i'm not a huge deadhead but i'd always heard about the inlays on the base of all of jerry's guitars that the original one with the wolf on it was a sticker when he sent the guitar to get fixed and the guy who built the guitar made an inlay out of it so i was able to see all these inlays it had it's significance to me in, in my life. I got choked up at this place. Even in the opening film strip, this mystery train movie where, where they showed how rock and roll came from the black music and from the country music and from, uh, from the New Orleans, Orleans music, from the big band music, where the swing came from. It was just a beautifully done film presentation. I forget, but I'm a fucking music guy, and this stuff moved me. But it was sort of surprising. There was some surprising stuff. I had some surprising moments. I mean, one thing that wasn't represented, I did not see a lot of rigs or bindles or spoons or vials or bottles or 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 tabs or guns or, or pills at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The dark heart of the music was sadly underrepresented. But uh, we knew it was there. You know, if you know what you're looking at, you know what's there. But there was some fairly dark stuff. Uh, oddly... The stuff that really kind of moved me a lot, they had an Elvis room, of course, and they were running a film of Elvis that was probably shot in the early 70s. He was heavy. He was not obese. He was older. He was clearly high. And there was some weird moment that I had. You know, you can see Elvis Presley performing you know, online. You can see it anywhere. You can see it many times in your life. But there was a moment there where I was looking at Elvis and looking at his eyes and watching him perform. And I realized the reason he was so saturated in drugs was that there was a point he must have experienced that it was the only way he could free his mind enough to connect with that music, with who he was and what he was supposed to do and what he was expected to do. You know, to shake your leg in the same way for the, your entire career and to continue to feel the music. There was just a moment where I connected with why he had to displace his mind so much to sing those songs that he'd sung so many times before. And I had empathy for Elvis. Not that he needed it. They also had his Lincoln there. Or his, no, it was his caddy. It was beautiful. Uh, they had some pretty odd stuff, pretty morbid stuff. I mean, I was sitting there looking at, you know, Otis Redding's plane remnants they had pieces of Otis Redding's crashed plane, the two pieces that had his name on it. That kind of gave me a little little sadness in the stomach. I'm like, is that necessary? I mean, they had a lot of stuff there of, about Otis, but man, you know, they had some of the country music outfits, Hank Williams jacket. They had a lot of interesting shit. But for some reason, the thing that really killed me, that really, you know, it was some sort of message directly to my soul. There, there was this one part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where you, they had the Rolling Stones and the Beatles in the same room. And there was one wall of the Stones. There was a few outfits of mix, maybe a few things here and there. It was not a big exhibit, but they had a video running of the Stones, you know, in concert performing. 
It was maybe a 10-minute video. Uh, it looked like it was from the mid-70s. Uh, you know, it ended with Jumpin' Jack Flash. And it was, you know, it was pretty limited. But then on the other side, they had the Beatles wall of the whole history of the Beatles, the jackets, John Lennon's glasses, the Sgt. Pepper outfits. And then on a separate wall, they had a video monitor. And around the monitor was every Beatles album. And on the video monitor was a documentary that was broken up into pieces uh, representing each album. So an album would light up on the wall, and then you'd hear uh, George Martin and the Beatles talking about the recording of that album from the very first album all the way through Let It Be and Abbey Road. And I stood there just spellbound for about 45 minutes. And, And there was a group huddled around this at all times that I was at that museum. It was the only place where there was at least 30 people sitting on the floor surrounding this monitor. And I was watching just, you know, it was completely compelling to me to see these guys who, who are these mythic, you know, beings, you know, as young guys, they were just kids. They were kids. They were like under 30 by the time they broke up. It's fucking mind blowing. And there were different points in their careers, different songs. And I felt myself tearing up and stuff. And I sat there for 45 minutes to go through, you know, all of these Beatles albums. 45 minutes. And then every nine minutes or so, I would hear Jumpin' Jack Flash reloop. Like the Stones were behind me. And it was just such an amazing. As much as I love Keith and I love the Stones, I know who they are. They knew who they are. They, you know, they're the greatest rock band that ever lived, but that's what they are. They are a rock band. Then across the way, you know, I spent an, almost an hour going through every Beatles album because they far transcended anything that anyone can understand. I mean, the fucking Beatles songs, they're almost like Christmas carols. I mean, I, you know all of them. How is that even possible? Transcendent genius. It was just moving. I really got into it. Another thing that kind of freaked me out, that Malcolm McLaren's telex or a telegram to Sid Vicious's mother, basically asking, you know, what do you want us to do with this body? And apparently uh, Sid's mom said, I don't care what you do with it, but you're not bringing it here. But it was just a, it's a weird, morbid, it was sort of cold, kind of expected that from Malcolm McLaren. And I was also very moved by uh, the costumes. I, was, I forgot what a, an insane Bowie fan I was. I mean, I was actually like, wow, look, that's a Ziggy Stardust tour outfit designed by some Japanese guy. It was so, I don't know. I, but I, I was also equally impressed with the, uh, with the ZZ Top Harry drums, whatever. I, there's just some guys I like and some guys I don't. I, it was great. I, I didn't make it up to the Women of Rock exhibit. I was exhausted by the time I got to the top floor. I saw some of the photographs. But all in all, great time. Great time in Cleveland. And... uh I, I was completely, completely entranced by the Rock and Roll Hall, Hall of Fame. I do think I need a money briefcase. I mean, if Howlin' Wolf had a money briefcase, I need a money briefcase. I'm going to start demanding to be paid in cash, and I'm going to keep that briefcase with me wherever I go, on stage, all the time. Anyways, let's talk about what happened at the gym today, if I could for a minute, because I don't know what the fuck happened. I don't know if it's a sign of age or if it's a sign that I'm going down or what. I haven't been working out as much as I should. Uh, and I went in or I ran a few miles today and I was stretching on the stretch thing on the little machine thing. And I like to stretch out by, you know, I, I touch my toes for a while and then I reach up and I hang from my hands and I bend backwards. So I get a back bend and I push up and I'm just basically hanging with all my weight uh, from a bar. And I always get a head rush when I do that. But this time I felt the head rush come on and it's usually sort of like, all right, this is a free buzz, but I'm in the head rush. I'm listening to Lenny Kravitz, Let Love Rule, 
you know, while I'm stretching and I'm doing that. And the next thing I know, I'm on the ground. I'm coming to. I'd, I'd fallen down. I was leaning up against a machine and my arm was sort of shaking. And I said, like, as I came to, I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? And then I heard Lenny Kravitz, where, what happened? And, and I was in a full gym, folks. And I went down. There was no doubt. I blacked out. I don't know for how long. Nobody saw it. Nobody saw it. It must not have been that long, but that is some scary shit, man. I just had a brain glitch. So again, happy to be alive between the uh, flight into Cleveland and just a, a workout today. I just hope it was because I, you know, I just gave myself a head rush. Who knows? Not concerned. No closure on this one. I'm okay. We did it. How's that? We won? I don't know. Let's talk to Anthony Jeselnik. Anthony Jeselnik. Is that how you pronounce it? Jeselnik, yeah. Jeselnik? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What did I say? Jeselnik? Jeselnik. Yeah, people will hit the Z on it a little bit, which what is if, fine. Do you get Jeselnik ever? Oh, all the time. Jeselnik, uh, Jeselnik was the big one. Jeselnik. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you've, uh, even try. you've uh, managed to put the kibosh on that? Have you reached out? Have you tweeted? <laughs> it's hard to tweet a pronunciation don't, don't, of your name. Can but, you just uh, do it with like the caps and then put the emphasis on it? I say like wrestle, Jessel, and then Nick, and people will totally forget it as soon as I say it to them. Yeah, I mean, I get Moran, Moran, Marin. Yeah. What the fuck? I mean, it's spelled just like it says. I yeah. Mean, fuck you. Yeah, I feel people should do the research. No one does research for anything anymore. No, no. I mean, if they're writing an article on you, they'll call you for research. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. So, dude, what are you? Why are you here? Uh, in Los Angeles? Yeah. Or here I mean, with you? Well, I know why you're here with me. Uh, I'm here in LA uh, to take a bunch of meetings, do a couple shows, you know? Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. How long are you going to be here for? I'm here till the 15th, and then I think I'm moving back here, I think maybe in November. Oh, that's right. You were. Did you start here? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was here for like seven years, did stand up for six, and then moved over to New York. When you got the writing job on uh, on Fallon? I actually left right before the job on Fallon. I moved there for a girl. To New York? Yeah, yeah. And then for got the, the same job. girl? Uh, I was a, it was a girl. Yeah, I don't know if you ever met her, Catherine. She was, uh, she was like a girlfriend from college. Oh, no, no. I, I thought with Schumer. You back with Schumer? Yeah, Schumer and I are back on. You yeah. are? Be- back and better than ever. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. good because when she was here, I had to edit shit because you guys had broke up the next day. Yeah, we broke up on Valentine's Day. We have these like major fights every once in a while and then we get back together and we're better than we've ever been. Things are great for a while and then we get in a fight again. But I think, uh, I think we're doing pretty well. I think we're doing good. Yeah, what are those fights about, Anthony? <laughs> uh, usually it's, I'm a fighter. Uh, it's, um, I usually think we fight because she's crazy. All right. It's more that, uh, like, I'll kind of tune out a little bit sometimes in a relationship. You know, I'm like a great boyfriend in the beginning. Yeah. I'm like number one. Yeah. And then I start to kind of lose steam a little bit. And then I get sidetracked by other things I've got going on. Right. Like, I was like really into like like, writing pussy. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty (laughs) good. I'm pretty good with that uh, these days. Yeah. But I'm, uh, but I'll just like get excited about writing something, you know, and I'll, and I'll kind of tune out for a little bit. Oh, you take them for granted. They get the uh, sort of what about me shit? Exactly. Exactly. But like I fight, and I—I I mean, has fighting been a pattern with you in uh, other relationships? Because I fucking I... Uh, no, not at all. Actually, I normally would never fight, and that's why it would like br- we would break up. Like it, things would be great, and all of a sudden they just wouldn't be. But we wouldn't know how to deal with it. Whereas it's exhausting Amy, we and weird. Fight, right? Yeah, it's 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 really exhausting. But Ugh. if we have a big blow up, you know, we'll kind of fix things after that. Really? Yeah. 
And he, do you track down the reason? She seems pretty psychologically uh, astute and Extre- extremely to, aware. To a fault, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's uh, it's tough. She'll just she'll be like, "This is what you are." Yeah. Now deal with it in some way. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm like, I've I diagnosed you. Yeah. So uh, that's good. Yeah. And uh, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, I've got this thing. This is some kind of mental disease, but uh, I kind of work with it. So. Yeah. So all right. So now. Where the fuck did you come from? I mean, if I can, I don't mean to be aggressive. But I mean, <laughs> that was a pretty aggressive way to I mean, say like, that, but I don't. With think that, that was an name and everything, what is that? That's like one of them. Uh, it's a Chicago style name. It's uh, it's Slovenian. I found out recently. We I used to think it was German or Austrian or something, but uh, there's like if you Google Jeselnik, I'm like all that comes up. So people all around the world who have the same last name would like email me for a while. And some woman in uh, Florida who had married into the family, yeah. went on like Ancestry.com and sent oh, really? me a bunch of stuff. Yeah, and she found it. Yeah. Yeah, she found she Slovenian. It back. Slovenian, yeah, some little some little village over there. But you never knew that. No, I had no idea. I had what no didn't idea. your parents talk to you? Well, I would ask, and they would be like, "Oh, German, we think, or that Austrian in that area." They didn't really seem interested. And when I even told them, "Hey, this is interesting. We're from Slovenia," they did not care at all. <laughs> they, there was no, there was no. Oh wow, let's see a birth certificate. They just you, didn't. They didn't. Do care. you have a lot of uh, siblings? Yeah, I'm the oldest of five. Oh, so they don't care about anything. No, no they don't give a damn. Are you? The, did you turn out? Uh, how the other ones turn out? All right, they're good. They're good. They're good. We got a lawyer in the family. We've got a uh, a private jet stewardess in the family. We've got a uh, my little brother just got out of college a few years ago. Private jet stewardess is that code for prostitute? Yeah, uh, no, no. She's literally a, uh, a a flight attendant on a private on a private jet in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. That's what where the family's from. Yeah. But Pittsburgh like has some industry there. There's that good college, and there's a couple of big business. Pittsburgh's okay. It's it's you know it's getting kind of getting back it together. But like yeah. my dad works for U.S. Steel, and they're like struggling. They're getting they're getting it back together. But they you know they've had some tough some tough. Isn't years. there some tech shit there too? I can't remember what's the big business in Pittsburgh. I was just there, and I was surprised Carnegie Mellon or Carnegie. Uh, I don't know what the fuck I'm thinking. What school is there? Carnegie Mellon's there. Pitt is there. Right. You know, they've got Duquesne. They got a lot of colleges there. Right. It's a big drinking town. It's a lot of a lot of bars, a lot of partying. Right. I was surprised because in my mind, Pennsylvania is this gray, horrible, large state. Yeah. With a lot of kind of rural sorts and a lot of highway with signs for some place called Andersons. Am I am I making that up? Anderson's, Anderson's pea soup. That, that it, might be, pea, am I making that up? That might be. I know there's Eaton Park is all around there. Eaton Park and there's uh, there's Amish country. Yeah. Now I'm gonna fucking Google Anderson's pea soup. So where'd you did you go to college? Uh, yeah, I went to college in New Orleans. I grew up in Pittsburgh, you know, my whole life, and then I went to New Orleans uh, to go to Tulane University. I had never even been to New Orleans before. I went for my first day of school. Uh huh. I was just so excited about the idea of New. Orleans. You went to Tulane. Yeah. Anderson's pea soup. No, it's in Buellton, California. Sorry. You were way off. Yeah. I, I just decided. Funnel cake. <laughs> How about funnel cake? Are there signs for funnel cake in Pennsylvania? I'm sure there's a sign somewhere for funnel cake. No, I, I don't thought think that, it's like a. Ah, fuck, man. Isn't funnel cake not a Pennsylvania thing? It's not a Pennsylvania Dutch thing? I, don't, I think it's a carnival thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. Think it's, it's like had a, a, it had to come from somewhere. I'm no? sure. I don't think it originated in the great so state you, of Pennsylvania. So you went to Tulane? Yeah. For all four years? All four years. And yeah. majored in what? Uh, English major, English lit major. That's what I did. Business minor, yeah. Business minor, I didn't do. Yeah, my so, parents made me. They were like, when you can't get a job with your English major after college, you'll be able to get one with your business minor. What was the plan? Uh, I wanted to be a novelist when I got to college. I wanted to be like a serious writer. Who are your guys? Uh, I loved Brett Easton Ellis. Brett Easton Ellis was my absolute favorite. Yeah. I loved him. I'd like to get him on the show. Oh my God, that'd be awesome. You like all his books? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have favorites, but mm-hmm. I, I read everything the day it comes out. Like, I go, I'm a big fan. Do you have any, uh, did you, any traditional guys or just you wanted the modern guys? Uh, I liked Hemingway a lot. You know, I liked more modern. You know, I kind of liked, I liked things I could kind of put myself into and, and you see like which the, you, It sounds like, like the cock rock of literature. Hemingway, yeah. Grady Sinellis. Yeah. Killing yeah. boy shit. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. And did you write a novel? No, I wrote a novella one year in college, uh, with like just like a short novel, basically. Mm-hmm. But they, my teacher hated the fact that I was a Brett Easton Ellis fan. Like he was like, "This guy's the worst writer." Really? Uh, yeah, he just because didn't. of American Psycho. I think it was just it was a very simplistic style, you know, that it, people would try to imitate because it seemed easy. Well, so was Hemingway. Know? Who the fuck is he? To yeah, yeah, but Hemingway kind of put it together, you know, in a better way that it looks easy if you just look at it. But right. When you try to write, you know, real characters and a real story. Yeah. It just it all kind of blends together. You know, right. Which is kind of like the point of the writing. But uh, but it wasn't you know it wasn't very good. So you fought with your teacher over Brady Sinellis. So he resented you because he thought bit. you were shallow. A little bit, a little bit. He was like, "This is, isn't good writing. I don't. I'm not clear of what's going on here." Now you're you know? sort of a, a dick sometimes. Did you come Absolutely. down on him? Uh, no, I was just very like, "Oh, okay." Uh, you know what can I do? Like I was very just like furiously writing like crazy, and I got became a better writer because of it. Yeah, and that class really helped me with uh, criticism. You know, because in class you would read your story. And then they would criticize, the whole class would go around and criticize you, but you couldn't answer them. Yeah. You couldn't say, well, here's what I was trying to do. You, know, yeah. you had to just sit there and you could ignore their advice yeah. or take it, but you just had to take it. And right. So I think that really helped with this comedy that I could just internalize. You think so? Didn't everything. you walk around quietly resenting the fucking asshole that uh, oh. took you down in class? Oh, I was, I was, uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit, depending on what they said, you know, when I, you, you would go back and criticize them a yeah. little more than, you know, because they'd hit you. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but in stand up, that always, like, I, when people wouldn't laugh, it would make me so mad, you know, and I really used that anger to, to come back the next night, you know. I, I fueled myself on anger for, for my first four, maybe maybe seven or eight years of stand-up. But, dude, you do yeah. a type of comedy that's not going to work sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but I want it to work with certain people all the time. And when it wouldn't work with other comics, like at an open mic, uh, I would be furious. Really? Furious, yeah. I used to fucking throw those guys out of the room. Like, really? your generation, you started at a different time than me. Yeah, you, you guys could start in little rooms where there were just comics hanging around. Yeah. And that's like that's a pain in the ass. But it's probably, it actually probably helped you. I think so. I think so. Because your type of comedy, which is you know, fairly, uh, you know, very well crafted, but uh, slightly wrong jokes, is hard for some people to take. Yeah, I mean, but I, it's exactly the kind of shit that other comics are gonna be like, ah, yeah. Exactly, that's what I went for. That's what I went for. Like right off the bat, I was like, I want to be. I want comics to like this. I wanted a writing job. You know, I didn't really think I was gonna be a stand-up. I thought I'll just I'll do this until I get a job and then I'll quit. But you got that other thing going. You're like a comedian that's a fairly uh, uh, good-looking guy, which is like not supposed to. This is not supposed to be for you. You're supposed to be doing something else. <laughs> that's, that's what I hear. That's what I hear. You hear yeah. that often? Uh, yeah, I don't. Not so much anymore. You know, I feel like it was almost like I. I felt like Eminem when I was younger. That like it was like being a white rapper was the hardest thing in the world. But once you kind of got to a certain point, yeah, it was the biggest <laughs> thing. You know that you could that you could have going for you. Uh, but I I didn't have any friends when I started doing comedy. Like I think people kind of. Stayed away from me when you were writing at Fallon. Now, how does it, like how did that job come about? Because I, you know, we got people that listen to this show that uh, that have dreams. Uh, it was kind of like a right place, right time kind of thing for me. You know, I'd always yeah. wanted that job, especially like you know a late night show like that, the twelve thirty slot, especially something that was starting because you could kind of build the voice yourself. Uh, and I had just done like a Comedy Central special, and things had been happening for me. And I just moved to New York when they were looking for people, and they were looking for sketch people. Right. But I thought I don't want to do that. I'll just write a ton of jokes, you know, from today's paper and send that to them. And they really responded to that. And I was, I think, the first monologue writer they hired. Really? Over there, yeah. So yeah. you don't have a problem writing in other people's voice? 
Uh, no, not really. You know, but I, I, uh, I struggled with it at Fallon. You know, I had written before that. I had written for like Sarah Silverman a little bit, and she was like, "If I loved the joke, you wrote stand up for her." No, not stand up, but like when she would do monologues for MTV Movie Awards or something. That oh, was really? Like the first writing thing was writing for her, right? And that was a dream job because she was. If I loved the joke, she was like, "Oh, I love it too." But on Fallon, that wasn't the case. There were so many other rules you had to kind of abide by. Like what? Like it had to be likable. He had to make him seem likable and smart. You know, he couldn't. He couldn't be dumb in the joke. Uh, and it had to be kind of like a, he had to have like a, his like persona into it. You know? Yeah. That if I had a joke that I was like, this is fucking brilliant. Yeah. It'd be like, we really like it, but it's just going to make people hate Jimmy. So we can't do that. And like my whole thing is like, like daring the audience to hate me. Now, did you, so do, can you remember any of those jokes? I remember one, I remember like one of the first ones I had, it was like when that, uh, when that monkey had torn off that woman's face. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they put the monkey down. Yeah. Uh, but my joke was something like. You know, the monkey was put down today, uh, per its final wishes, uh, it was cremated, and his ashes ashes were thrown in a woman's fa- in that woman's face, you know? And I loved it, but it was like, there were like, no way is he going to say this joke. Do you, well, I, it's interesting that, it, so he's afraid that, uh, he doesn't want to be, appear to be dumb. I don't think it was fear. Mm-hmm. I, there was no, he wasn't afraid of it. It was just like, when you're a talk show host, especially in the beginning, you have to kind of set yourself up, you know? Right. One of the things Lauren Michaels told us when we were there, it was just, it was a great piece of advice. Uh, just said, the longer you're there, the longer you're there. You know, in that first like couple months, people are going to dump all over you. But then all of a sudden, you're there for three years, and you're like an institution. Right. And people will just watch it because it's on, and they're used to it. The longer you're there, the longer you're there. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, you know, if you make a joke about like a retarded person, you know, yeah. they might laugh really hard, but afterwards, like, oh, I, I don't like them. Yeah. You know, which so he which said that the, he was basically made that point. Did he, what did he used to have Lauren little? Uh, yeah. He used to have little jam sessions with you guys. Like one jam session where we're <laughs> just like any questions, and we're just like, no one's supposed to talk at all. You know, you just you just listen to him. <laughs> no one talk. Yeah. No one talk. No, no one raised their hand. No. No way. A room full of people. It was just two or three. It was just the monologue team you yeah. know, at the time. It was you and who else? It was me. Uh, Wayne Fetterman was like the head guy. Yeah. And then this guy, Jeremy Bronson, who's yeah. now the head writer, head monologue writer over there. Uh-huh. It was great. And it was just the two of us. And they would be like, all right, we've got to do, like for weeks, we were sending in our jokes yeah. every day. We'd write like, you know, our best, send in our best 10 after writing all day. And all the notes coming back were, all oh, these are great. You guys are doing great. This is going to be awesome. And then the show starts up and we send in our jokes and they're like, what is this? And it becomes clear to us that no one was reading those jokes we were sending. And they were just like, oh, good, good. <laughs> and then for the first couple, like, month or so, we were getting killed. It was me and this guy writing, like, 100 jokes a day, passing them in and just getting destroyed. Because Jimmy didn't know what his voice was. We didn't know what it was. They were kind of cornier jokes. And now that staff is, like, eight people to write the monologue. And we just had two in the beginning. Why, so they, we, why do you think they only had two people? I think money and just, like, let's, you know, let's uh, hit the ground running and see, you know, what happens. Uh, you know, can, you can always add more. I'm sure their budget picked up or something, but it was crazy in the beginning. A hundred jokes a day? Yeah, at, at minimum. At what, minimum. Now, what's the process? Because like, I have someone once taught me how to write a monologue joke, and I think if I listen to a monologue joke, you can write a monologue joke. But the guys, people don't realize that dudes who write monologue jokes, I mean, there's there's crossover. I mean, you got to sit there. You, everyone's looking the same shit. So between you, Kimmel, Leno, Letterman, Ferguson, I mean, the chances of some similar jokes is almost guaranteed. Absolutely. And it's just a, it's a way of writing. What, what is it? I mean, is there like, do you have an A plus B equals here's the way you write a monologue joke? Totally. I mean, I did. You know, some people would have different things, but I would, they would, uh, like a writer's assistant would give us all the headlines of the day. Right. You know, like a man in Wisconsin was, right. uh, you know, hit by a car while he was walking his dogs. Right. Something like that. Yeah. And I would literally just take that and that would be the setup. Right. And then I would just add my second sentence that would be the, that would be the punchline. All right. Let's write a monologue joke. Hold on. Uh, Senate okays extending key Patriot Act provisions. Patriot Act provisions. 
Eh, it's not that great, right? No. How no, about um, uh, Google unveils wireless payment system? That could probably be a good setup, huh? Yeah, they would love that over Fallon. They love anything tech. <laughs> so what you'd basically do is Google unveils wireless payment system. Uh, well, you know, Google, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, or, so, hey, blah, blah, blah. or as it's better known, identity theft. You know, that would have been mine. That would have been my joke. And I would have turned it in and then taken a nap. <laughs> that worked out pretty good. Yeah, I'm great at this. <laughs> Wait, let's do more than you fuck, <laughs> Mister Great at it. But that's just the way your brain works. It's like math. Yeah, it would be first first thought. You know, it was just total instinct because you just had so many to write. It was all volume and just you know putting it out there. And I didn't like working like that. I'd rather, you know, write just a few jokes. And like Morgan Murphy came on and wrote monologue for a couple years. Yeah. And when she came over, she would just write like fifteen, seventeen jokes a day and send them in. But she would work on them. You know, where since I was the first guy there, I always had to come up with like the volume. I couldn't just turn in 15, even if they were a great 15. I have to turn in 75. A day? If, yeah. Even if they were like terrible, I would just be like, here's 75. 75 jokes a day. Yeah. That's fucking unreal. And yeah. you couldn't use them in your act. Never. I, try, I would try to use them sometimes. I would try to be like, here's some jokes that got rejected, you know, on Fallon. But it seems so ridiculous that my persona would work for Jimmy Fallon, that it just didn't work. And I was like, I don't, I don't care. Now, what about this persona? Because, like, you know, yeah, I mean, outside of, uh, you know, being incredibly arrogant. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm kidding. It's totally arrogant, yeah. But I, <laughs> no, but I mean, I, like yeah, I think maybe you're genuinely like that, are you? Uh, not, not really arrogant, you know. I have a certain confidence, but it's all, I feel like it's earned confidence. You know, I feel like I've grown kind of into it. But in the beginning, the persona was a very fake confidence. You know, it was just like, I was kind of nervous, and I hated being new at stand-up. I hated that like first six months where you just had no idea what you were doing, and the crowds kind of you know. Smelled did you it feel like me. yeah? Did you feel like embarrassed that you didn't already know how to do it? Exactly. Yeah. I just I just knew that in the future I wanted to be like five years later. And right. Just right. See where I was. Are then. you like that with everything though? Uh, not really. You know, I haven't. I've been one of those guys who like I try something. You know, since I was a kid, if I try something, I'm not good at it. I don't. I I never try it again. You but know, if you try something and you're really good at it, do you stop there? No, then I then I get obsessed with it, you know. Then I become like, then I'm like, oh, this is I can do this. Like you what? Know? What else has there been? Uh, the, one thing that jumps into mind is like lacrosse. When I I played lacrosse in high school, and lacrosse wasn't a big sport in Western Pennsylvania back when I was like a kid. Really, not there because everywhere else it's, it's gotten huge. it's gotten bigger now. Come on, really? Yeah, it's. I gotten, thought it was a girls' sport. No, I mean I think it was like big at girls, you know, schools. Maybe like I'm thinking field schools. hockey. Field hockey is yeah. big. Those Did you play two field hockey? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I tried. I, I didn't make the team. Uh, but I, I just started playing early, like yeah. in like fifth grade or something, because some friends had sticks. So by the time you got to high school and you could play on a team, I was like really good. You know? That's where you got to so catch it in the little net at the top of the stick mm -hmm. and throw it around like that? Yeah. seems pretty challenging. It is. It's, it's all a lot of hand-eye coordination. And so I was you, were good a, at that. you were a lacrosse jock? Yeah. Yeah. I played a lot of sports when I was a kid, but lacrosse became my main my main. You sport. played lacrosse in high school? Yeah. And you were like the star. What what position? I played defense. Yeah. You know, and I was. It wasn't the star, but I was. You know, I was good. I was good at it. Now, was there a, a school pride around lacrosse? Because it seems like sort of an odd sport. No one. It was a, my school was a big football school, and everything else was a distant, you know, a distant second. And so they hated the lacrosse team. We were like, we were a club team. We had to pay for all our stuff. You know, and they didn't want the football players playing with us. They thought it was just like beneath them. Did, did so they? Uh, a, did you get shit from the football guys? No, it wasn't like that. Oh, but right. it was like, but they, you know, no one cared. No one cared about <laughs> lacrosse at all. I think it might be better there now at my high school, but at the time, I, I don't. I never fucking uh, like. I I always think about that in my in myself that if somebody had taught me some sense of healthy competition, I would be better off in life. 
like to me losing is just like i i if i'm losing i would rather ruin the game yeah than yeah. than lose yeah totally <laughs> i didn't like being on a team sport that much because i just didn't i like didn't care as much you yeah know, if i had a good game and we lost i was still like hey i, I had a good game you know <laughs> yeah that i always thought like oh i should have played a solo sport yeah know? like Which, tennis I, golf yeah i guess you know i'm I think so you, bad at those at those two but you've played, uh, you've played golf I've tried to play golf. My brother hits a lot of balls, but really? I'm, I'm, I'm not good at it. I've got like a bad back, so I I, uh, I shy away a little bit. All right, so now let's go back to those first uh, those first days at stand up. Sure. So you're going up there with your dark jokes, like what was uh, like? No, I, I took a class when I before I started. No, you didn't. Yeah, yeah, I took a class with I, who? Uh, Greg Dean. Where in, the hell was uh, that? Santa here? Monica. Yeah, it was out here. A stand up class. I had I had like someone had told me to do stand up to get into joke writing, and I was like uh, afraid of it. Like I looked down on comedy, kind of, and the, were the people that I really loved in comedy, but they just seemed like brilliant that I couldn't do that. You know. But you were. But were, had you written uh, poetry or anything like that? Not a lot of poetry. You know, mostly short stories and like. But you're a word guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I just poetry didn't never did it for me. No, but I mean, so why did you assume that you couldn't be as good as somebody else? Uh, because stand up just seemed like one of those things that just seemed like it seemed impossible. It was more of a persona thing for you that you were worried about because I mean, jokes are jokes, right? No, I just thought I'm I thought I'm a funny person. I need to find out how to go up there and be funny, right? You know, and I knew there was like a way to be hilarious. Yeah, you know, with only a, with a, only a few words if you really you know knew what you were doing. Who were your guys? Uh, Stephen Wright was big time for me. Really? Uh, yeah. Stephen Wright was, well, I remember just as a kid seeing him, was like, how did he do that? You know, it was right. just brilliant. Uh, Mitch Hedberg later on, you yeah. know, I got into. Um, so joke guys. Joke guys, for sure. I was never a big Bill Cosby guy. I was never a big Carlin guy. Like, I liked them, but I was never like, ooh, that's what comedy is. What do you, you think, it, do you think there's some, uh, that they're, they're doing it easier in some way? Like, because, you know, I'm more of a talky guy. Yeah. And you're just like all jokes. I think it's different problems, you know. I think you know with uh, with me, like you know, I got I hit every thirty seconds, you know, with a joke. But even every is like that the, something you make sure you do? I mean, no. in your mind? No, no. It's just I just wanted to tell short jokes, and I wanted to keep like, the fewest words possible and show that I can write really well, you know. Okay. Uh, so I didn't want to ramble or waste anyone's time, you know. I thought like I went to Europe, and people were like, "Oh, that motorcycle joke you have is so funny. You could really stretch that out and make it like a ten minute bit." Yeah. I'm like, why the fuck would I do that? <laughs> When I've got this perfect like thirty second joke that's like you can't change anything about it. So the the motorcycle joke is big in Europe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which joke is that? It's uh, when I finished high school, I wanted to take all my graduation money and buy myself a motorcycle. My mom said no. See, she had a brother who died in a horrible motorcycle accident when he was eighteen, and I could just have his motorcycle. <laughs> that, that's always a crowd pleaser. <laughs> so that's huge in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the one they all singled out. Really? Yeah. I yeah. mean, that, what were you, when did you go to Europe? Uh, this past summer, I went to uh, Ireland for a, for a week and did a, the festival, the Kilkenny festival. Uh, not Kilkenny. It was like the same festival, but in Dublin. Oh, that must have been better. It was great. It was because I went to Kilkenny and I I did not have a good time. Really? But you but see that's the thing about joke guys is that you're protected. I mean, there's something about like I got nothing against joke guys, but if that's all you do, your emotional risk is is limited. Sure. And sure. that, you know, you're not revealing that much about yourself because you've constructed this persona and you seem very aware of it. And that jokes, I think, for the most part, because they're almost like math problems, are they're translatable. I mean, it's really about a turn of phrase. Yeah, but I feel like uh, you can kind of get into, even if you're not laughing, you know, people will still be entertained watching you. You know, they're getting to know you and there's like an inherent value in that, whereas there is no getting to know me on stage so if, I, if they don't really like the jokes or they don't really get into it right away it's a tough slog through 45 minutes you know <laughs> that's when you start throwing the crowd work on them uh so i can't really like i can't really fuck around do you do crowd work oh yeah 
Yeah. Oh, I've seen you do crowd work, actually. Yeah, I've seen you yeah. do that, where like the two or three jokes didn't go the way you wanted to, and bang, you're in it. You know, it's almost, I try to do crowd work more when jokes are going really well. We did know? that crowd work in Austin, where you did that crowd work with the woman who uh, had a problem with retarded or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that about? Yeah, she, well, it was, I was in the crowd, like literally like in the aisles, talking right. to people, like finding people. Which is, a, as, a, as a comic waiting to go on, once somebody not only does crowd work that's killing, but decides like, hey, now it's time to take some chances and go out <laughs> among the people where you're sitting there going, ah, oh, great, all right, yeah. now I gotta rebuild this fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember I like I killed there that you went on after me and you were like, I'm not going to sit up here and just do a bunch of crowd work. And then like looked over to me from the side of the stage. And then <laughs> proceeded to do a bunch of crowd work. <laughs> no, that's just my insecurity. But I think I did all right. My yeah. recollection. Yeah. But, I like I like crowd work because it's like jokes just for that audience, you know, that people I think seem to really appreciate. I love crowd work. I, I But I, I, I tend to think of it more as a conversation. Like if something happens, like for me... If an audience feels comfortable enough or I feel comfortable enough to, to start kind of moving through stuff that I didn't know would happen, it's the only time where you, you really, it's it, like I'm more happy when I got off stage if something happened that I did not anticipate at all sure. than if a joke works. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. But you don't, you don't write like that, though. Do you ever do crowd work and all of a sudden you're like, oh, fuck, that's going to, I'm going to add that? Uh, not really. So, you know, uh, sometimes I'll add, like, I'll tag a joke just off the top of my head and it'll really work. You know, or I'll say something, like, just really arrogant that'll work. But when I'm doing crowd work, I, it's hard to keep that kind of stuff. So yeah. how the fuck did you manage to, like, you know, persevere with your sort of drive for success to, to kind of uh, tank as much as you must have uh, in order to make this character work? Because, I mean, I used to work with Hedberg, too, and it was hit or miss with him. I mean, that was a long 45 minutes. I mean, before he got fucked up. Yeah. I mean, when it, it was just that that, that was... See, I've always had a respect for this, and and and, but I always, um, I know that I could never do it. Is that if I, you know, if I'm tanking, you know, my, you know, in the old days, I would get angry at them mm-hmm. and then really fuck things up. But then I became more diplomatic and tried to meet them halfway. And now I've become sort of like, look, if if you're, it's, I'm not going to change much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, either you're going to you know meet me halfway here, or yeah. we're just not going to get along. And I find that if people don't like me. They really don't like me. Yeah. Whereas if people don't like you, you still walk away and you don't feel like uh, you've invested a lot. Well, I think if people don't like me, they're like offended. Right. That I would try to make them laugh in that way. Do you know what I mean? If they don't like it, they really, they really get mad. But you're conscious of that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mind it. And now that I'm like, now that I'm headlining, I feel like a responsibility to the audience that I used to not feel. Right. You know, like when I first started opening on the road, I would have these miserable shows. You know, I would be opening for Doug Benson. Right. And I would just be bombing my face off, like walking people before he, before he came out there. Really? Yeah. And he was always very cool. He was like, you know, we're going to have a fun time after the show. Don't worry about it. And like, kind of got my legs doing that. And then I would go with Posehn. Brian Posehn, who was really nice to me, and uh, his kind of crowd was more like my crowd. Like they, I would do very well in front of him. Even if I did, angry nerds, like, yeah. And where Doug is just stone nerds, yeah. Well, people, people who saw him on VH1 and were just coming out, and they don't want to hear my dead baby shit. You know, not at all. You really like you would walk people mm-hmm. after a series of jokes. Was there one joke in particular that would uh, be a guarantee walker? Yeah, like I, I would get into you know religion, or I would like the dead baby joke at the end, which I thought was like my best joke when I'd be in LA. Like this will this will save me when I have this. What at was the that end. one? It was, uh, you don't know anything about pain until you've seen your own baby drowned in a tub. And you definitely don't know anything about how to wash a baby. <laughs> and then we get stone silence. People coming up to me afterwards being like, I've lost a baby. Don't tell that joke. Like shit like that. Right. That I would just be like, what, am I, is this what the road is like? Is this what happens? And then I just. That's so funny. You never thought once maybe I shouldn't tell that joke? Never. Never. <laughs> I'm always like, this is going to be great. And then I would just be, it would be like audible gasps from the crowd, you know. <laughs> 
when you're already bombing, that's that's a tough that's a tough one. So when you're up there bombing, what are you thinking? I mean, I I mean, I I know that you you have this character and you have these jokes and you know what they are, but uh, are you thinking like fuck them? Or are you thinking like, oh, God, now I got another 10 minutes of this? I mean, this the latter. I'm thinking like, oh, how much time do I have left? Let me get the <laughs> fuck out of here. This is over. But you yeah. don't try to do crowd work when you're bombing? Cause of- no, I mean, I don't really bomb when I'm headlining. You know, it, I'll have like slower shows, you know, aren't like the energy's not as great, but I don't really bomb anymore. Uh, but, you know, if, if, if it's just not fun, I'm annoyed. You know, if it's like getting laughs, but I'm not like killing, I'm annoyed and I just want it over with. But I, I know the feeling about... Uh, there's something about you must be getting off on that thing where where um like there were jokes I used to do that were pretty like I, I it's not so much shock value, but there's that feeling where you know a joke is not it's just it's gonna be hard to bend someone's brain into to yeah. taking it as funny. Totally. But the challenge of that is really compelling. Yeah. And I don't mind if someone like I've got a joke now like a breast cancer joke. Yeah. That is a really quick one that never gets more than a couple laughs from people. Right. And but I I love doing it. So I literally I just say like, you know, after I tell the joke, I'm like, you know, that's not a crowd pleaser, but it doesn't mean it's not brilliant. Yeah. And that gets them back on your side right away, and you can just go into the next like thing. Like, what's that know? joke? Uh, that joke is that uh, my mom's in a really bad mood right now. She just found out she has to have both of her breasts removed if she's ever going to be good at golf. <laughs> and people were just like, oh, oh, shit. But, you know, anyone in the crowd whose mom has breast cancer, you know, which is like fucking half the crowd these days. Yeah. They're not, they're not pleased. Really? Not I mean, and, 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 and what do you think is our responsibility to that? Zero. Zero responsibility. It's on them completely. People ask, like, is there a line? There's absolutely no line. And if there was a line, I would cross it immediately. Like, I'm always looking for, for like, some topic that's off limits. Like, I, I sat down and worked on breast cancer for years. That know? joke? Not that joke, but just a joke that would get people to laugh at breast cancer. And I was like, oh, I just can't say breast cancer. You know, if I can do so it. So you way. sit down with topics that you know are going to cause trouble. Oh, absolutely. In people, yeah. not necessarily any sort of legal trouble or anything else, no. but just trouble. Like, what's that list? Uh, rape was the one I tried for a long time. You know, yeah. and finally I have a couple of those. I've got some suicide jokes, yeah. you know, that are really tough, that, uh, that go well, you know. Um, suicide, rape. Uh, abortion was one. Religion has always been one. I, I've chilled out on religion a little bit. You know, I used to have a real problem with it, but now I'm, I'm kind of cool. I used I to do really a joke so where uh, where I said that the reason why the Christians are so anti-abortion is they think that something's going to go horribly wrong with the second coming. <laughs> and I do this thing where, like, the three kings, I used to do this thing where the three kings show up at a dumpster behind a doctor's office, <laughs> and we can rebuild him. Like, I, I mean, so I... <laughs> I mean, there was a time where I felt that was more compelling to me, and I think it must have been for that same reason. Now, do you think... I'm trying to think in my life, why did I move away from stuff like that? Because there was definitely a thrill to it. Mm-hmm. But but it's not the thrill of like, these people are going to love me. I oh. mean, you know, people who are going to laugh at that. I mean, do you find that after the show, you got a lot of friends? No, no. <laughs> and so there's some people who only want that. You know, some people are fans that they just, they want every joke to be a dead baby abortion joke. And you can't do that, you know. And I right. want everyone. I don't just want like my own little niche of fans that come out just to see like stuff no one else will laugh at. So, so I, you I want to... everyone, and you insist that you're going to get them the, the way you're going. I, I mean, I, I try to, you know. I try. I just, I don't need everyone, but I want everyone, you know. So I do my best, but I do what I do, you know. I'm hoping that, you know, I, I think the roast really helped a lot in terms of people just kind of knowing what they're getting a little more, that they're a little more into it. And sometimes it's not as fun if the whole crowd's like on your side the whole time. Or if they know all your jokes. Yeah, the knowing the jokes thing is tough. You know, there, there's like, I've got maybe 10 jokes that people have heard enough that people will yell out, you know, punchlines before, but it's usually just some wasted asshole. You can so you got, quickly. you put your first record out 
recently. Yeah, about seven months ago. Seven and it got ago. it got received well. Very well. Yeah, I was. I was very did that? Pleased. Who put it out? Uh, Comedy Central. They did. Yeah. Did it sell well? Uh, yeah, it sold for a digital release. It sold. It sold really well. Yeah. And so you're you're starting to sell tickets. Yeah. Yeah, but the album helped a little bit, but the the roast really helped. It's been it's been pretty packed since the roast. Really? Yeah, you're yeah. selling out. Uh, so, you know, selling out or getting close and uh, and uh, clubs. Having, have, yeah, and just having crowds there for for me, which is I can't even believe that's happening. You know? And what if you were to characterize your fans? What are they? Are they like uh, like compared to who? Like, are they mostly dudes? Uh, no, actually, it's actually it's like fifty fifty, man. It's crazy. I it was like if I would see a well, bunch of girls walking. Well, you got the looks. You got the fucking looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since since the since like being on that roast, you know, a lot more women come out, and I think you know people with this good sense of humor, who people who are like willing to come to a comedy show and kind of be quiet. You know, I get like a more reserved kind of intelligent fan, which I'm thrilled with. Well, they like jokes. I mean, you're a joke guy. Yeah, and you're you're a joke smith. Yeah, yeah. And and they're excited about what the what the turn of phrase is going to be. But going back to what I'm trying to think, why I, I stopped doing jokes like that because the thrill of because I've always want I've always been one of these people that like I as much as I want people to like me, I defy them to do that mm-hmm. in my personal life. I, I don't know what if it's because it's how I was brought up or what, but like there's part of me that's sort of like still like me now. Yeah. Do you have that in you? Not really. I still want <laughs> I want everyone to like me despite I want to be able to get away with with everything. So I want them to like me. And and they'll forgive, you know, especially headlining because it's so different. You know, you're doing 45 as opposed. Well, you're to, the guy. Yeah, yeah. Plus, like starting out here, you get five minute sets, ten minute sets. Yeah. And I kind of built myself for those. You know, like if you can only do five, why not try to cram in as many jokes? Well, I mean, did I, are any uh, any middles giving you a run for <coughs> your money? <clears throat> There'll be some people who like kill, you know, but it's so different. That right, you really change work, the whole speed, you know, right? Unless they unless they do like an exact, you know, I, I Andy Haynes opened for me in Seattle. And he opens with, you know, Seattle's the suicide capital of the country and does this whole bit. And my closer is how about how like a different city is the suicide capital. Because I'm like, oh, fuck. So what did you do? Switch it up? I uh, No, I did the joke anyway. And when I said, like somebody tells me that this, you know, Great Barrington's the suicide capital, I say, wasn't it Seattle? And they go, per capita. And then the audience <laughs> forgave me and then he dropped the thing. But uh, once I was in like, I forget where I was, maybe Kansas City or something, the, the opener was this guy who was so hacky. I told people he made me want to quit comedy and marijuana. And uh, and he would just destroy. And then I would go out and eat it so hard after What that. was his closer? Uh, I just remember the last thing he would yell is, Tiger Woods isn't even the... Oh, and I'm like, white people aren't even the best golfers anymore. Uh-huh. And the crowd was like... Bah! Yeah. And then I'd walk out and just be like, fuck, uh, this is tough. Did you know before you got on? Uh, I kind of thought... And then they proved it over and over again as the weekend, you know, wore on. That, so the whole weekend was just fucked because of that guy. I don't think it was. Beca- I think it was because of the play- like the audience and that guy didn't help to right. do me any favors. Well, I mean, it's hard to switch gears, I guess. But now they're coming out to see you. What are the yeah. What are the other things on the list? Did you get race? Uh, race a little bit. Race turns like I've got this joke now that I think is like great. Uh, mm-hmm. Where I say like my mom was really racist, you know, when I was a kid, like so racist. She used to tell me that Santa Claus was black. That way, when I found that it didn't exist, it wouldn't be that big a letdown, you know? <laughs> and people get so uptight, and I'm like, I'm not racist in the joke. I'm yeah. like uh, anti-racist, but it's just like a joke. It literally is a joke about racism. Yeah. Not even racist, but people really have a problem with it, but I just have to keep, keep but, doing it. But they, but that's because if you even if you bring up another race than you... People are like, I don't know where this is going. But I bet if I said Mexican Santa Claus, I bet yeah. people would go crazy. I think just black has become... This like if, so you, if you talk about if you talk about 
you know, African-Americans at all. It's it, yeah, it's, it's very loaded that people will be weirded out, but you can make fun of any other group and they'll go crazy. Mm-hmm. And the we- weirdest thing about that is if you do a black crowd, like an all black crowd, they love that shit. They, they just think want it's you hilarious. to be confident. Yeah, they want you mm-hmm. confident and ballsy and they mm-hmm. think that's the ballsiest thing you can do is tell a race joke to them, you yeah. know, which I love. Yeah, I love so uh, you've worked for black crowds a lot? Not a lot, but, but when I do, times. when I do, I'm thrilled to do it's it. It's sort of like it's a rites of passage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, when yeah. I was like, I remember starting out and there was this room uptown where it's like, you, know, you want to work in an all black room? And I'm like, I kind of have to, right? Yeah. I got <laughs> I got to do it. And then like, but as soon as you start to waffle, yeah. you're in trouble. Oh yeah. As soon as they think that you want to be somewhere else, they will let you know <laughs> to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just don't buy it. Yeah. What about sexism? Or is that just implied? I feel like pe- people always accuse me of being misogynistic. You know, I got a lot of jokes where it's like, oh, my girlfriend this, you yeah. know, my, my ex-girlfriend that. Uh, I don't think of myself that way at all, but I just think every joke needs a victim. Right. And, you know, the best victim, you know, for my persona is the person you should be nicest to, you know, which is girlfriend or family. Yeah. You know, so the, it's hard to get away from that. And if I can make a joke about a guy, as a, me doing something to a guy as opposed to a girl, I try to do it, but it's, you know, it's usually not as funny. Usually doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't work. What as well. about uh, mentally disabled? Yeah, love love coming up with a good retarded you know retarded joke. You know, I, I love it because it's like it's the last thing you should be doing. And all the people turned on retarded so hard recently. I feel yeah, like no, I, I defend uh, the word retarded publicly. That, yeah, that it's like fuck you, and and the retarded people aren't the people who get mad about it. Yeah, it's it's, pe- it's, you it's know, people with uh, retarded people in their family. Exactly, and I've yeah. got a retarded you know uh, person in my family. But so you got a license then? That is, I don't you... think it's license. I just I just don't care so much that that it, I I want to put it out there more because people get so mad. But it's also such a great word. Oh, it's and word. it's such a great word and 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 i say on stage sometimes i say well i never would call a mentally disabled person a retard i'd call someone acting like a fucking retard a retard exactly like it doesn't exactly but i mean they can't separate it from the roots of it i guess and i mean i've had people come up to me like because i do a i used to tell this story and i, I just stopped telling it because it's just there's nothing right about it and i don't know i think i've told it on the show i'm not sure where i was um I defended the word uh, retarded. You know, I have a, a standard defense of it that, that it's not used anymore. So I, I'd like to have it back. But that's not the issue. The issue was like um, that when I, I genuinely said to the audience that when you see a mentally disabled person, um, it's hard not to be filled with joy because they're so childlike and they experience joy so immediately that when they're having a good time, you literally feel elated yeah. uh, because of their sort of unfiltered ability to experience joy. So I don't think we should be arguing about the word retarded or about mentally challenged or, or developmentally disabled. I think they should be called God's clowns. <laughs> <laughs> and and I said that one night, the first night I said it, and the audience just could not stop laughing because it was so uncomfortable and wrong, but it was yeah. it was so validating to me that I got a charge out of it. And then uh, like that night, it was a bumper shoot. And that night after I said it at the show, I went to see the Stone Temple Pilots. And, um, uh, you know, and I meant God's clowns in a nice way. I didn't, I didn't mean like God was making a fool out of them. They're, they're spreading joy in this way. Yeah. That I, was really well intended. And, and I went to see the Stone Temple Pilots and I was on the, on the, on the grounds, you know, waiting for this show. And, and I'm behind me, I hear like some guy like, Stone Temple Pilots, yeah. You know, and I'm like, what? And I turn around and there's this, you know, this like 25 year old, you know, mentally challenged dude, you know, standing there. And, but when I heard him saying that, like, I again felt that excitement, like, you know, like he's so excited, you know, that's so raw. 
And then I look over and he's with someone who must have been his dad. You know, and this dude just looked like every bit of, you know, everything had been drained out of his being. Yeah. And it was in that moment that I realized, you know, I, I guess it's only fun for a little while. Yeah. And, and then I just stopped doing it. And yeah. I told that story. So I think that, you know, that stopped me from doing that. Yeah. Would that stop you? No. <laughs> no, not at all. How, how, how developmentally, how, who's the one in your family? It's like uh like my dad's cousin. Yeah. And she's she's much older. She's like in her fifties now. Down syndrome? Uh I'm not sure exactly what it is. It's like it's pretty mild, whatever it is. it might be Down syndrome, it might just be the normal do you retardation, have, really. Uh now do you do you have some things that you you're just like, you know, frustrated that you can't fucking get a joke on? There's nothing that I've been like frustrated with. I would like like when I hear comedians use the N word, yeah, you know, on stage, I think like God, like I would I wish I could find a way to do that. Without like having to say the word, I don't want to say the N word. That's like saying like that's like calling like saying like oh my PP. You know, it's like yeah. when people when comics like use like the like a much cleaner version of a word. It, it's a it's a real turnoff. I think yeah. crowds. Right. But that's one. I, I had a, a joke where I used the word uh, nigger, but I just couldn't. I, I said it twice in the joke, and I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I just, Why? I just, I just didn't feel right saying it. It, well, you probably shouldn't, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, does I, that frustrate you that you can't say that word? It, it kind of bugs me that I feel like I can't say it because there's no other word that I feel that way about. And why you do know? you think? Why do you think you feel like you can't say it? I just, you know, I, I feel like I have friends who, like, I can just like picture their faces, you know, like black friends who, when I, when I say things, and like, and I'll have jokes about race that aren't necessarily like. But no. you don't want to be one of those guys accused by your black friends of just using it gratuitously because you want to try to take some ownership of that word. I don't even care about being accused of it. I just don't like I think that word has so much power over certain like a certain group of people that uh, more than any other that that would like I don't want to like hurt anyone's feelings. Like I would never make a joke about like someone's you know someone's miscarriage but i would certainly make a joke about miscarriages do you know what yeah, i mean right like i feel like that word gets so specific that i just don't think i could like look my black friends in the face if i had that joke if i like came off stage after telling that joke you know why that is because there's no reason for white people to use that word yeah yeah <laughs> it's yeah. like i i you know i've had discussions with guys before it's like hey it's just a word yeah okay but it's a word that has a very deep meaning to a lot of people yeah and there's no no one there there are black people that make arguments that that word should not even be used by black people. Totally. So what do you get out of it? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that there, there there is a way to do it. And I know that, and, and if people want to, I'm certainly not stopping them from doing it, but like I've, I've thought about it myself, and, and the only thing I come up with is there's no reason to use it. Yeah. And But for somebody like you, uh, that would be a challenge. That would be sort of like, well, that, where's my sword? I must you know figure out what to do with this. Totally. But that's, but that's where you draw the line. Yeah, yeah. It's just a personal... You know, it's a personal line. So in, in terms of like, because I've been t- talking about this a lot with people and I've noticed it, that there's a, I think I heard Gervais talking about it, who I'm, I'm no huge fan of. And I know that, that Louis has talked about it. What, why did you just do that? I just, I just, I just watched that uh, Gervais's thing that like the green, what was it? What the was green room? Thing? Not the green room. But oh, the one, yeah, with the sitting around. Funny, funny people. Like, I would never let Ricky Gervais tell me anything about stand up. He's a hilarious guy, but I feel the he, same way. You've been doing stand up like what six years? Yeah, like, I just I feel the same way. It, yeah. it annoys me. Yeah, uh, and and I can't. You know, I, the way he laughs. I mean, he's obviously a very inspired comedic performer. And he's got a great sense of comedy, but yeah, you know, as a stand up, I just don't know where he gets off on some level. Mm-hmm. And I, but that's a, a different issue. Sure. But but they were talking about. He made a point in talking about. Um, I, and Louis does this too. That that it's not even a matter of of making a statement. It's just that they go to where the juice is. That if there's something that is loaded, 
uh, and and it's already filled up with gas. You know, why not? You know, try to set fire to it. Yeah, and that's the same way you feel about it. That's the challenge that you face as a comic. Uh, totally. I just feel like you know that's one of the reasons I got into this was to be able to say whatever I want, and those things that you're not supposed to say are exactly what comedians are supposed to say. Right. You know, I think anyone who questions that is dead wrong. Yeah, but I mean, in my mind, there's things that, you know, that you're not supposed to say. Uh, what's more important, I mean, that those things almost seem hack in a way. Now, I'm not accusing you of being a hack, but I'm saying that to to, to sort of go for some things for the value of, of how shocking it is your take is going to be as a turn of phrase. But what what's more interesting to me is things that remain unsaid, not things that you're not supposed to say. Yeah. But things that you, you know, like you, you, there's nothing more threatening to uh, to an audience if you sit there, if you get up on stage and go, you, you know, I feel kind of sad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is that is harder to overcome. Oh, absolutely, than, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, and I don't like. So that's my challenge. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do I make the audience actually feel emotionally drained <laughs> by my fucking neediness, but make them laugh at it? Well, I'm glad we got that out. <laughs> I'm glad we figured that out about me. <laughs> so what? Uh, so now, what are you pitching around? I've got. A, I'm. I'm trying to put together a TV show for Comedy Central in the next uh, few months. But I, I've, I've got kind of like carte blanche to do what I want. So which just makes it harder. Like I don't really have any big ideas. You know, I do. I do the stand-up character really well, and I can play that character. You know, uh, like a violin. But I don't know anything about story. You know about characters and things like that. So you would want to do a, a character-driven uh, sitcom piece. Why wouldn't you just take your character out into the world and apply? Uh, let me help you write a show. Like, what if you were to, you know, sort of take your sensibility and and manifest it through uh, through uh, in a documentary style? That's. I mean, that's certainly a goal. They keep, everyone keeps saying like, we want your version of Insomniac, right? You know, I'm sure you've heard the same thing too. Of like, we want. Uh, we want like to just take you and put you out there so that you know just get get your persona you know out there uh but i don't know how to do it and if someone comes to me and you know finds a good way then i would be i would be down but like you're doing a thing right now that i remember uh you're working with christian charles right yeah that i think that we might he might have to go do a movie but yeah. but uh he but told me about your idea just like you know uh and it sounded like the perfect idea it was like you know where you interview a celebrity and then try to go out and apply that to your own life and it's like this clean idea where you can do a million episodes right and each one will be totally different right that I, i'm looking for that you know right which is, it's it's been just really hard for me to find that i'm just kind of going around having meetings and looking for help well know? i think that like well well when you think about putting the character out there in the world i mean because it seems to me that the way you've conceived of the character and, and the way you are is that, you know, what is the emotional depth of the character? I mean, you're going to have to, where does that character live? I mean, I don't even know where the fuck you live. <laughs> I mean, what do you do with your day? I mean, do you just smoke and write things down? Uh, no, I mean, I, uh, you know, I hang out, I read a lot, and I, you know, I try to write a little bit every day. But you're a solitary dude. So, I mean, so how does this guy yeah. that you play on stage, this guy that has the thoughts that he has, yeah. which are specific, and you know that there's a distance between that and you. Yeah. What 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 what's what? Where does he come from? I mean, what? How does that guy live? I mean, I think of him, you know, in terms of a persona, as kind of like the devil. You know, this guy is just supremely confident; doesn't have to do a lot, but he gets shit done if he needs it to be done, and he does it in like such a way that's like a you know, he's kind of just a charming dick that he can't really get in trouble for it, right? You know, but I don't know. I, I always kind of liked having that like mystery to the character, you know, from from on stage, almost that like rock star mystique that I've never you know plumbed the depths of it myself. To think about it but that's one of why don't exercises. you just play the devil i would love to play the devil i would love to play the devil or a hitman but those things just seem like 
it just seems like almost too high concept that if I tell my manager I want to play the devil, they're just like, please don't. No, <laughs> please no, don't but I mean, devil. but don't call him the devil. It's just that, you know, you're out in the world trying to make Faustian deals with regular people. No, I'd love to do that. Like trying to, to get that. people to say things that they shouldn't, trying yeah. to get people to do things that they shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, or, or, or offering them things to do that. Like I, I see maybe like, you know, that experiment where, where, uh, um, what was the experiment where, where people were giving more voltage to people? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like in the fifties. Right. Where yeah. like um where I can't remember what was the what were the options? It, no, it was just like you have to it was like if he gets his answer wrong, you know, shock him. Right. It's gonna be it's like so much it's gonna like really hurt him. And they would just do it and they'd be like the guy would scream. Right. And they'd be like, I don't want it and they'd be like, You have to hit the right. button again. He's and, not gonna know who you are. Yeah, he's not gonna know. Just hit it and people would be like sweating and being like, I can't but they'd keep hitting it. Yeah, Very so few people I, would say no. I think you should model your show around that. Yeah, that was that sounds, <laughs> that sounds great. I'll send you a check. Do you know? Just figure out different situations where people are put in a position to do what they shouldn't do. Yeah, and and because that's literally going to where the juice is. Yeah, and it's wrong. Yeah, you, you know, I mean, that's sort of like uh, that's a good metaphor for your approach to humor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I got to push a button. Yeah, I like that. Oh fuck, like man. That. Well, come on, man! Don't you fucking like you? you I, I I think you, you seem pretty confident in everything, and you're a comic, so I know there's got to be some fucking problem with you. Uh, I was just, uh, you know, I've tried to think about it, you know, like why I became a comic because it wasn't like a family thing. I feel like a lot of people have that like family. Your family story. was supported, yeah, you know, supportive and everything. Uh yeah, you know, me as like a person, you know, in comedy they were like, "What are you doing for a few years?" But now they're so on board; it's it's ridiculous. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, remember when we were in uh, where were we? Just in uh, Austin. Yeah, and you were your show was airing, and you called your folks, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all very nice. Yeah, they're 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 thrilled now. Yeah, uh, but they were like, I'm sure they would have rather I changed my name, you know, when I first started, or like didn't have Jessel and they going out there, but now they're psyched. Yeah, they're psyched about it. They just, they're just happy that I'm you know making money and and uh, and kind of doing what I want to do and being happy. That's fucking nice. Yeah. But when I was in, when I think what the thing that really I was just like very angry when I was a kid. I didn't like school. I didn't like being told what to do. Did you kick people's asses? No, oh, no. Good. I got in a couple fights, but I wasn't like a bully really. I was just kind a of bro- like a, you were a brooder, a little bit of a brooder, you know, and a little bit of a jerk. I would like to, I would use my bully tendencies to like defend other people. Right. You know what I mean, like I, yeah. I didn't like the popular kids, and I would kind of go after them if I if I saw an opportunity. You weren't popular. No, I wouldn't call. I would never have called myself popular. I had friends, you know. I wasn't like a like yeah, a, yeah, yeah, some, yeah, some nerd, but I uh, but you know I had my friends, but I wasn't with the cool kids. Yeah, you know, ever. Uh, but uh, I just really hated being told what to do and I hated school and I figured it out pretty quickly that it was all bullshit you know I figured out I was never going to really use calculus no matter what they said yeah I figured out that having to go to like Sunday school like this Jesus thing is bullshit yeah like early on and then it just like <laughs> sitting in church for an hour and a half was like killing me yeah you know my family just thought I was like lazy or wanted to, would rather be watching TV but it was like no like this experience is like sandpaper on my eyeballs yeah uh, and school was like that too that I was just like would and I couldn't keep my mouth shut you know i was always saying things and yeah. always like joking around that that and they would i would get in a lot of trouble for it yeah. and i would just think like oh when i and i was dark then too you know which people thought it was like a problem they're like oh are you messed up in some way you know were you, we, were you drawing pictures of uh, hitler and with people i was, I was not a, i was not a good artist but i would write about things like that you know i would write just dark stuff and i would joke around about you know just violent things and i thought it was hilarious you know and and uh and no one else did maybe you are the devil Possibly, possibly. <laughs> do you do you get any joy out of seeing people hurt? It depends on the person. It depends on the person, but I, I don't I don't get too upset. Like when Amy cries, do you feel like yes? No, but I'm all, I I kind of roll my eyes and just like oh, how long is this gonna how long is this gonna last? 
When is this uh, over? Come on. Do you ever find yourself weeping, Anthony? Maybe during a TV commercial? I or? cried recently. I, I don't cry much. Like, a, like a, sad movies will get me. Like, I feel like whenever there's like a father-son thing in a movie, you know, like at the end when they like, you know, have their, right. that, that gets me a little teary. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah. And, and my dad and I are great. You know, we, we have a great always? relationship. Uh, yeah. Always. Huh. Always been awesome. You know, uh, good friends. You're also the first dad. kid. That You must have been like the fucking king of everything. Yeah, I was. I did all right. Yeah, I did all right. Like, yeah. were you the first grandkid too? Uh, no, but by, only by like a few months. Oh, okay. You know? So, so I, you I was, still got yeah, good I was amount in, of and attention. And we had five kids in seven years, uh-huh. you know, so it was everyone was packed in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they they were uh, the family was great. And you were brought um, up Catholic. Yes. Yeah. And you just you, the hell thing never stuck. None of it stuck. I just I mean, I just they kept telling the same stories every year. You know, it'd be like you'd hear about Noah, and the, you know, Noah doing this. But and the guy like, in the what whale about all the then... fucking? Uh, but like Catholicism is such a big show. I mean, sure. you know, communion and shit. Did, sure. I mean, did you go to confession and shit? Yeah, I had to a few times, but I was like, this doesn't, I don't feel any different. Like, I was, I would be like, I haven't done anything. And the yeah. priest would be like, you must have done something. You know, yeah. whatever you do, you talk back to your parents, like, okay, I did that. And they'd be like, yeah. well, that's a thing. What about this? But I just didn't, why do I have to tell this fucking guy anything? You know? And then <laughs> yeah. I just, once I realized that the Jesus thing was bullshit, and even like the message, like Christian people didn't really follow it, you know, it was just this very hypocritical thing yeah, yeah, that yeah. just drove me crazy. Uh, and I, ha- I felt like I had to have a lot of jokes about that in my act at first, but now I just don't really care. Did you? you know? Was there a moment where you realized Jesus was bullshit? Oh yeah, I remember being in CCD is what they called it. It, what was, is like that? The, it was like the Sunday school for right. like, kids who went to public school. Yeah, but it, but would go to this Catholic place on Sundays. Right, and just listening to the story and being like, this ne- fucking never happened. This <laughs> never. And then everything just fell apart. Everything. <laughs> where I was like, I can't believe they're even like saying this to me with a straight face. Like I was furious, <laughs> furious. And did they know it? I, I think through my behavior, I never just put my hand up and was like, how do you believe this shit? But I was, I was just like, all right, close this book. Yeah. This book is worthless. Yeah. And I just have to- like, How old were you? I was young. I was like maybe nine years old. Really? I remember, yeah, being a little, and just being like, and I had to keep doing it until, like I was, I think when I was 12, I got confirmed. Yeah. And my dad, was, they were like, you know, this is your like baptism that you choose for yourself. When you're a baby, you get baptized because you don't, you know, know what's going on. But this is like you choosing it. So if you don't want to be this, or you don't believe in it, then just tell us and you don't have to do it. So I go in and tell my dad, that, hey, I don't, uh, I don't want to do this. I don't believe in it. And I don't want to be a Catholic anymore. And he's just like, you're 12 years old. You don't know what you want. You're going to do it. And I was like, oh, all right. I guess I'll, I guess I'll do it then. And is, is, are they religious? My dad is, but like, a, in, uh, not super religious, but he, it's important to him to go to church every Sunday. He believes you know? in hell? I think so. You know, I, and I think that's what bothers him about me being such an atheist that he doesn't want his, you know, his son who he loves to go to hell. But I just, I don't see how anyone believes that shit. Yeah. And do you, uh, when he hears your jokes, does he get concerned? No, he's never really said anything about it, even though I have like many jokes of like, I am an atheist. And I, th- I don't know if they think I'm kidding. But what about some of the or, stuff that be, could be construed as uh, insensitive or slightly evil? No, they know I'm, you know, they know I'm joking and, oh. and they're, they're pretty good about it. My mom, you know, doesn't get it as much, you know, she's like, why do you have to talk about that? But it, it's the kind of thing where like, if you have friends come to see you at a show and yeah. if like, if you kill at the show, they think you're amazing. Yeah. But if, even if you, like, even if it's just a bad night or it's yeah. four people in the crowd and you don't right. kill with them, yeah. then they think like, oh, you're just, you're just terrible. Yeah. Or you're in trouble. It's not like, it's not like you had a bad night. Exactly. Yeah. That it was yeah. like my parents were like that. Yeah. And if everyone's laughing, they're like, oh, that was great. Right. But if they saw me bomb, yeah. they wouldn't know what to say to me. And have they know? ever seen you bomb? Uh, no. Well, that's no. good. No, yeah. I've been and once you're on TV, then it's good. Yeah. Yeah. So the atheist thing, then I, then what, and in, in the sense that, like, cause it, like when you talk about how you approach jokes and, and then sort of understanding it's all bullshit, that there's sort of an existential, you know, uh, 
a theme to it that like the the only real answer is just to keep calling bullshit on everything yeah i i think i think there was this line from you remember the show deadwood yeah i, I was i worked on that when i first started doing stand-up i was an accounting clerk on it that was like how i made my living you know for a couple of years was being an accounting clerk on tv shows and i was like obsessed with it i loved you know the all the writers over there and everything and they had this one where uh where swear engine like the bad guy in the show is explaining to someone like what life is and he's like you know life is like he's like this guy's like you're giving me too much shit and he's like life is getting shit so you stand up and you be a man and you try to give some back you know and i thought that was what i'm gonna do like i'm gonna try to give it back but in my way like these people who like forced religion on me and forced like rule on me and, and like, this education on me like i'm gonna i'm gonna hurt them but how can i do that you know, by doing, by doing this, I can get away with these things. If I'm a comedian, I can say them so I can say all the dark things I want to do and it'll offend those people that I want to offend, but I'll also get my people yeah. you know, and people on my side. Yeah. And that was like, that was my whole philosophy. And it was just, all based on that. Cute. I think that summed it up pretty well. And you were know, like, I, you were just a guy working as an accounting clerk on Deadwood. And that was that moment. You're like, the clarity came. Yeah. I was just like, this is what, this is what to do. This is how to act, you know? <laughs> Who gives a fuck? Worry about feelings later. Just go in and give it back right now. Did you Did you thank, uh, what was his name, Barry uh, Milchin? What was uh, the guy who wrote that? David Milch. David yeah, Milch. I never, yeah. never got to thank him for that, but hopefully someday oh, I'll get man. to talk to him. And you should write him a letter. Did he write that line? I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. did. You never got to meet him? I met him briefly, but it was like, you know, I'm the fucking accounting clerk. You know, nobody wanted to talk to the accountants. So that was just part of you building your anger engine. Kind of. Kind of. What yeah, other jobs did you out. do? A lot of accounting stuff. I, I worked at a bookstore. My first got to LA. That's where I like, got the book, you know, how to do stand up comedy. Got the thinnest one, you know, and that was Greg Dean's book. Uh, oh, so I, you work in a bookstore, you get that book, and then you go take that guy's class. So now, yeah. do you have any, uh, do you, is there any, uh, was that any sort of uh, fuel for your hate engine, hate engine the uh, stand up class? Or do you uh, give him some credit for helping you? I give him one? credit in like getting me up to an like, to the open mic level. You know, I didn't know how to walk on stage and just do five or 10 minutes. So that class was like they just built you up until you had seven minutes. You know, my seven minutes, I told a story about getting fired from Borders Books. And then I told a story about my girlfriend burning down my apartment in college. So this is pre-joke writing, Anthony Jones. Yeah, this was like when they just taught you, like, talk about yourself, you know. What was the second one? Your girlfriend what? Uh, accidentally burning down my apartment in college, uh -huh. you know. Uh, Did it have tags and beats and everything? Yeah, it was, it was like I was very, like, you know, uh, this is my story and there's a bunch of different jokes in it, you know. And I had some good jokes, you know. One of the jokes I used on the roast was one of my first jokes, you know, that I that I had written. Which one was that? Uh, the one, I told one about Donald Trump being a douche, such a douchebag. If you look up the word douchebag in the dictionary, there's a picture of Spencer Pratt. But if you look close, Spencer Pratt is holding up a picture of Donald Trump. And I had that like about my manager, you know, at, right, right. at Borders. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That I, that, so I, I kind of knew how to like, I remember being excited about that. Joke. This is a good one. Yeah. You know, but then I, I just got sick of telling those same two stories. And I was like a 24 year old kid who didn't know anything, you know, didn't really, I didn't want to complain about anything. I didn't want to like, you know, try to poke holes in the system, you know, right. or complain about politics. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I just wanted to kind of, you know, do something. And I saw uh, BJ Novak actually at an open mic at the Unurban Cafe doing one-liners. And I thought, holy shit, you can do that? And then I just went home, scrapped up my whole set, and I would get uh, Jack Handy's books, Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy, and I would just read through those. And at open mics, I'd get there hours early, read through them, and then write my own jokes. And eventually, Which, You read through them just because they were short? They were short, and I liked that. Like they were all had that twist, and it was that "how did he think of it" kind of twist that yeah. you needed to have. Well, BJ is uh, a good example. He was a guy I, I noticed. You guys are similar in that so much goes into you have a very compulsive and and um, unique joke writing craft. But he didn't. He didn't have much personality on stage. 
No, but, but he had no. great fucking jokes. Yeah, so that sort of turns your mind. Yeah, the jokes made up for it. It was like this: you just wanted to hear what was next. You didn't care. Right. You know, the you turn of phrase. Hear, yeah, yeah right. I was going to do the next thing, and he had some really edgy stuff. Yeah, you know, back in the day. Yeah. Um. But uh. But yeah, I just thought that like doing one-liners, like after seeing Stephen Wright and Mitch Hedberg do it, I just thought I can't do that. They're right. Brilliant. Yeah. But seeing him do something, seeing somebody at an open mic do it, I was like, oh, maybe I can do that. That you could write the joke. Yeah. And so I started doing that, and then eventually I, uh, you know, told a dark one that had like that mean twist on it and the crowd reaction was just like almost guttural like an oh but like yeah. a big laugh that i thought that's it what one was that uh my uh, this joke about my girlfriend loves to eat chocolate you know she says she's addicted to it i've got a chocolate addiction you yeah know? and it's really annoying so one day i put her in the car i drove her downtown and i pointed out a crack addict yeah and i said you see that honey why can't you be that skinny <laughs> and that fucking killed i was like oh that's all you got to do is just you know find those ones surprise them and yeah and yeah, stick it surprise to them. them with a mean you know, with a mean twist. Well, I'm glad you're getting back at the world. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, it's Anthony. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's our show. That was Anthony Jeselnik. Uh, I, you know, look, I learned something about him. I uh, was happy to talk to him. Button pushing comedy. It's a way. Find your territory. That's right. This is me. You don't like me. Fuck you. This is my room. Love it. WTF.pod for all your WTF-related things. There's all these new posters and T-shirts up there. My new CD is up there, signed if you want it. Also, get on that mailing list, and I will mail you something every Monday, a little thing that I write at the place. Also, you can get the apps for iPhone, iPod, Touch, iPad, Droid. I'm tired. All that stuff. You can get the app, the premium you can get on your computer. It'll take you everywhere you need to go, justcoffee.coop. I have so much coffee. So much coffee right now. I could use a cup of coffee. It's late here, and I think I had a stroke today. Come here, Boomy. Boomy, come here. Come here. What's up? Hi. What's up, Boomy? Come on. Boomer. 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 Boomer, Boomy, talk, Boomer, talk, say something, did you hear him?